All right then, welcome back to the foxhole on a fabulous Friday. With even a little sun and a little blue sky in beautiful Eugene, Oregon. FTINFX The Scene, Season 2, Episode 2. It's been a while since we've had a scene episode. As you all know, The Scene is the companion podcast to my regular weekly distillation of what's going on in the sports world, fox trotting in a foxhole. And this episode I'm really excited about is this is a follow-up to a conversation I had at the end of 2021 with Jordan Scott about foul ball safety as he is basically the main activist for the campaign to make the ballpark safer. Foulballsafetynow.com, you should check it out. But anyhow, one of the subjects we had talked about in our conversation in 2021 was you know an unfortunate incident that happened at Dodger Stadium in August of 2018, and somebody who was deeply affected by what happened on that on that evening when the Dodgers were playing the Padres reached out to me over the summer and said that he'd heard she'd heard the podcast and would wanted to know if she could come on and talk about her efforts to make the the ballparks safer and prevent these accidents. You know that and kill, maim, just ridiculous injuries. Anyhow, I don't want to babble too much, but before the ball, just all let us delve into the podcast. Let me get my usual shout-out to www.purpleplanet.com for the music we use in the podcast. Always the, the high-five to the folks at Road and Zoom for providing wonderful tools for content creation. Want to be on the podcast, sponsor it, just say, hey, F-T-I-N-F-X at gmail.com, all that sort of thing. Tune in also this week for Season 7, Episode 4, a lot going on there in the regular podcast. Okay, so now we can segue into this wonderful conversation with Jana Goldblum Brody, author of Sit Behind the Nets, a book you can find at Amazon, I believe Google Books. And I hope that after you listen to this podcast, not only do you tell others to listen to this podcast and hear what Jana has to say, but you go out and purchase her book. There are a lot of great stories, you know, about, you know, a daughter and her journey through, you know, the I don't know. You just have to listen to the story in terms of, you know, how these foul balls and the consequences of not taking the steps to make sure everyone that goes to the ballpark is safe. Anyhow, enough of me rambling. Let's get to what Jana has to say. Enjoy this. I'll be back in a little bit. Okay. Welcome back to the Foxhole, folks, with a special edition, as we do in the companion podcast, The Scene. We have a Wonderful guest joining us today, kind of a follow-up of an interview I did with Jordan Scoop, uh, Scott, a few years ago in the end of 2021, I believe, about foul ball safety. Um, our guest today reached out to me in the summer, and it's taken a while for me to like get this together because everybody knows what a scatterbrain I am. But I'm really, it's a great pleasure to, to bring uh, Jana Brody to us and have her tell her story. She is the author about, of sit behind the nets and has a lot of other interesting things going on as well so i guess before i get into the whole 
foul ball safety thing. You know, you've got a curious question about, I see that you're a visual artist. I was kind of wondering, what does that exactly mean in this day and age? <laughs> well, thanks, Ted. First of all, I'm happy to be here. And uh, it's actually worked out good time because baseball season is just around the corner. So it's all meant to be. Oh, um, as a visual artist, I am, that means I'm a painter or drawing or, you know, two-dimensional things versus, um, you know, performing artists or um, anything like that. But uh, as of last year, I am an author. So it's pretty exciting. I've shifted gears um, to writing. And uh, that's what I'm excited to talk about as well. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I just, uh, of course, I was a little bit awkward with the lead in there. It's been a while since I did an interview, but it's such a pleasure to, to finally connect and get you on here and uh, talk about your book and talk about your experiences as far as being an an activist slash advocate for foul ball safety. As you know, as I mentioned earlier, I had spoken with Jordan about this at the end of 2021, which was a fascinating conversation. And obviously, I know that uh, he's had lots of contact with you and some people in your family, and we'll get to that as we go. But I'll kind of start out with this sort of getting a little background. So, okay, I know you kind of grew up in the Valley, which is interesting to me because I'm, I'm a CSUN graduate. And I'm, I'm assuming... Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I figure when you were living, to, living out in the Valley, you did go to a lot of Dodger games as far as, far as your uh, childhood experience and into early adulthood, I'm imagining. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, it was uh, my dad was a wrestling coach at Pierce College, so big sports fan all the way around. Oh, um, awesome. We used to go to the Dodger games quite, quite often. You know, back then it was um, not very expensive, and you had your favorite team and your favorite players guaranteed to be out there year in and year out, and I was a big Steve Garvey fan. <laughs> ah, good old number six. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I did myself as well. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, I, you know, it's interesting as far as um, that your dad was a wrestling coach at Pierce College. Was, every now and then when I was slipping at six and I took a few classes out there as well. So definitely uh <laughs> kind of some shared experiences here. So as I kind of pivot towards, you know, what what brought us here to in the discussion. I guess my first thing would be, you know, obviously, you know, I was asking about your experience going to Dodger Stadium growing up. I mean, I mean, did you ever think going to Chavez Ravine would be a dangerous experience in the whole time you were growing up? Never, never. You know, I mean, it was, the, you know, it was fun. It was our favorite place to go. It was, you know, exciting. That, you know, we've had crazy events and we could, you know, meet the players and um, get autographs and take photos. And even um, back then, my dad had a friend who had tickets in the dugout. And it was a different, you know, configuration in the 80s. But you could just walk to the end of the dugout and stick your hand out and get an autograph. So it was quite different back then. Um, and it's just shifted. And I, I believe the players have shifted, too. They've gotten more muscular they've gotten different bats different balls and the velocity of things has just shifted over the years and um, that's one of the major things that i talk about about that fall about safety is that the number of people getting injured every year was just unbelievable let alone god forbid the amount of deaths that happened and um you know two of the deaths actually have happened at dodger stadium 
I never knew about Alan Fish in 1970, um, who was a 14-year-old boy who died by a foul ball from Manny Mota's bat. Um, again, these kinds of things were not well known. So um, once in 2018, when my mother got hit by a foul ball in a Dodger Padre game and died four days later um, of, of brain damage, it kind of shocked us all to say, hey, what's going on? And then led me to do the research for the book. And I, I started Googling, you know, baseball deaths or baseball injuries. And the, the numbers that were coming up prior to 2018 was like 1,300 injuries per season. And that was just shocking. And that that's very where, staggering. Indeed. It was like every 10th game in the, in the world. You know, and it, it, you know, this is the way, you know, before, you know, social media and things and, the, um, you know, obviously the cameras don't follow every foul ball and, and things. But once I got on my campaign and once I started to say, hey, this is an issue, the cameramen and, the, you know, I got on the news, I got an ESPN, I was on every newspaper and the fact that someone died by a foul ball was, you know, making news because actually the news didn't come out for six months, which is another shocking thing that it was all hush hush. But once the news did break, then things started changing. Like the cameras were catching the, these foul ball injuries. And not only that, but they were happening where players could actually see the person getting hit, the child getting hit, the baby getting hit. And falling to their knees and not being able to continue their batting, you know. So I, I kind of set a precedent or, you know, just put a new awareness out that the journalists were actually catching these horrible incidences. And then it became too awkward for, you know, MLB not to make a change. Interesting. <laughs> you know. Okay. That's that's the saddest thing. Right, right. Because, you know, one of the things that I talk about, because I do a weekly uh, podcast where I sort of distill everything that's going on in sports. And one of the major themes that I've been hitting on for the last three years, um, just not only this uh, topic, but, you know, other unsafe things that are going on, whether it's crowd storming and some of the violence in the stands. But I guess my point I'm getting at is that, you know, it's become such big money now as opposed to what we were talking about in the 80s as far as, you know, these new stadiums and, you know, all the networks and things like that. And, you know, where the fan experience is on a high premium. I just find it to be beyond ridiculous and almost criminal that we have these unsafe environments where, you know, when people are laying down this big money to be part of these events. And so, and I know, like, I was listening to some of your other podcasts, and you brought up the inter-risk clause, and it's kind of like, kind of segues into, okay, the unfortunate incident that, that you know, is bringing us together. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that day on August 25th, 2018? Well, I won't forget it. It was actually my, um, the same day as my uh, wedding anniversary. <laughs> oh, oh, my, wow. So, I... I was not at the game. Okay. I was home and I actually would, um, you know, was out celebrating and got a call from my sister at midnight that night that my mother was in the USC Medical Hospital having emergency brain surgery. So I was like, what? Wow, and so it, it turns out that, you know, late in the ninth inning, 
um, a big, big player came to bat. And, you know, my, my dad was there, um, not with his regular um, ticket holder. He, he, my dad and my mom had, um, I think they call them block tickets. And every 10th mm-hmm. game, they were big fans. They went often. But the, the buddy from uh, his high college days that he used to go with, was sick that day, and my dad actually invited his brother and sister-in-law. So that was kind of fate in the, in, in the making as well, that he had his brother there with him um, to deal with this kind of crazy tragedy. But yeah, there it was in the ninth inning. Um, San Diego Padre, biggest guy on the team, just hit a rocket straight up to the yellow load section. And out of 40,000 people, it um, found my mother, Linda Goldblum. Um, and whacked her in the temple, and everybody was aghast. And you know, are you okay? And she's like, No, I'm not okay. And then things kind of um, went down a downhill spiral from there. But my father, being an athlete and a you know often often fan, I don't know how to describe it. He he knows the difference about from a ball that you can catch, a, a ball that you can duck, and a ball that you, there's no way around it. So. You know, a lot of people say, oh, they weren't paying attention, you know, this and that. She wasn't on her phone. My mom was in her 70s, and she had a flip phone when she left in the car. So that part of the fan experience wasn't there. And You know, they're always having um, distractions during the, the game on purpose. You know, they have Indeed. trivia, they have kiss cams there. So it's not about paying attention or not. It's about being in a safe environment as you mentioned earlier and so my campaign became to make sure that the nets were adequately extended adequately vertical actually horizontal that there was enough seat inventory that you can purchase your high price ticket but buy it behind the nets where you can sit safely in the hot zone you know right 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 Oh, you know that's the interesting thing, I guess, because um, when I when you know, I told people that this was coming up, and you know, some of the people in my circle were really fascinated. That was the first thing that came to mind. Well, because you know, you're gonna have to ask what what was, she, was the person on the phone, and I said, well, I because I did my research, I go, well, I think you know, she was 78 or 79 at the time, I believe. And I was just telling my. Yeah. Yeah, so like people, I'm like, well, that's not the case. I just think it was probably one of these reactions where you couldn't get out of the way in time. Is that, and I'm guessing that's, you know, the particular, the case here. Yeah. That's exactly the case. I mean, again, during my research, um, you know, I came across the documentary that um, was made um, where they put people directly behind plexiglass on the, um, even at the, plate and have people pitching to them. I mean, and these people were flinching and, you know, even behind the plate, plate glass, like, you know, they knew they were safe and they were still, their human reactions were not fast enough to move, you know, so it's like, um, you know, I think that was a Brian Gumble episode and it was just true that it's not about paying attention and being able to move. These are split, you know, shot like a bullet from a, a gun, you know, there's no movement. I even saw another video that I researched where there was, um, you know, um, um, newscasters who were, you know, getting balls into their area and there's no way they could move or react or, you know. So, again, certain balls are just 
there's no way. It's, it just happened so fast and the velocity is so hard and strong. We're not talking about long ball home runs that blue, you know, that they arc up and they come down and you can see and you can catch them. That's a totally different story. Absolutely. You know, these are, these are foul balls that are rockets. Absolutely. I was going to, you know, mention that. I, mean, I don't see this as much as I used to, obviously, you know, with, you know, some of the changes that have been made, but there's been plenty of times where I've seen, you know, a bat sheared and the jagged end fly into the stands and hit someone, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It just happens so quickly, you know, that chain reaction when the bat splits and goes on its wayward trajectory and all of a sudden strikes somebody, you know, obviously that that jagged edge from the broken piece of wood, you know, it's a similar thing. And I've, you know, I don't see that as much as I used to, but I just used to remember thinking, you know, that was one of my big fears, you know, growing up that I would be, if I was behind the plate or had seats behind yeah. the plate, I should say. Um, let me ask you this. Okay. So let me segue into this part of it. Cause I'm really curious, you know, obviously, you know, you grew up with the Dodgers and I did somewhat, I mean, I, grew, I was initially a, a Reds fan and then became a Dodgers fan when I was at CSUN right about the time, you know, they won the world series in 88. And I'm kind of curious as to what was their initial response to the, to you and your family was, you know, how, how did they, how did they handle this? Well, then you know, that's part of my story that mm -hmm. I put in the book. At, at first, you know, we were all in shock and we were all like, in, you know, mourning. And so we really weren't thinking about it too much. Um, it turns out that my um, soon-to-be brother-in-law, who was not part of our family life, so he did some research and contact with the Dodgers. To let them know, like, what's going on, and you know, even when she was in the hospital and all that. But I wasn't really quite aware of that because we were just in ICU and freaking out, you know, kind of thing. So I believe they were knew about it from the beginning, you know, that's the mysterious part. So nothing really became of it, and then. When I, I reached out to, you know, a couple of lawyer people approached me and they said, you know, what does that just do for you guys? And we're like, nothing. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't really about a monetary thing that we were really seeking at that time when we were kind of down in the dumps. We just wanted some closure or some like um note on the jumbotron rest in peace with the gold bloom you know some kind of acknowledgement of this long time fan but you got to know that this was the same year 2018 that they were going the world series so there was no time for negative press there was no time for taking um you know accountability or anything like that it was all just hush hush in the papers until you know, de December, January, when I started to research and decided that, you know, this story takes a grieving daughter to share it with the world. Like, not one reporter, not a popcorn man, not that anybody in the stands, nobody, just, you know, thought this was a newsworthy story to share with the rest of the fan world that, you know, there are dangers at the ballpark. So, that was the, then it got upsetting that, you know, the Dodgers could have used it as a huge platform and say, hey, look, this happened twice on our stadium grounds. 
we're going to be the first one to make a change and extend the netting and raise the netting. But unfortunately, that was not the case. So it was just mysterious how it's just nothing really, you know, positive came of it um, until, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was other teams that stepped up first and said, we're not going to, you know, let this happen. These injuries will keep happening. But, you know, in the in the long haul, here we are, 2024, Major League Baseball has raised the net at Dodger Stadium, and they have extended the net to the South Pole. So I feel like my mother's death was not in vain. My voice was heard. It made some change. So I'm a little upset with Major League Baseball's declaration that they have, um, I think, all the way to the end of 2025 to raise their net. So I'm not sure why they're delaying um, protecting the fans at the minor league park. Oh. And that goes all the way down to you know, spring training and college even as well. So yes. that's why I'm here today, Ken, is just keep talking about gun safety and get these changes made universally. Oh, that's great, because I was going to ask you about that. I, I, I will circle back on that, I guess, before <laughs> I lose track. You know, kind of like segue, doing the segue from the Dodgers into, you know, talking about the media. Because I know, first with the Dodgers, I just find it really odd. And, you know, doing my research about this and, you know, listening to some of the other podcasts you've done and getting a chance to go through some of the book and things like that. I just find it odd with the Dodgers and knowing what I know about them going back to when they were in Brooklyn. They're so big of a brand. It's not like, you know, I feel like, have, they would have to suppress this. I mean, it's like there's no really bad PR when it comes to them, even when they <laughs> stub their toe. And, and it just seems really odd to me, you know, given how beloved they are, not only in Southern California, but, you know, it's it's pretty much a global brand. And I find that kind of shocking. But, you know, enough of that. Let me just ask you, because you make up a great point that was, it was kind of funny how this conversation is just right in line with my outline of the media, that... You know, you say that it basically, they were really quiet about it. Now, whatever the pennant race going on in, in 2018 and everything else that goes on in the fall, like football and these sort of things, it still seems kind of odd that it, as you said, it took a it took, you know, a grieving daughter to, to finally get attention. Why do you think that, you know, the media was so slow to really take a hold of this? Well... Um, I believe, and I mean, I love my, I, there's a lot of fabulous journalists out there and I, I get big, huge kudos to ESPN and Willie Weinbaum, but guess what? Willie and ESPN are out of New York, so they are not journalists here in Los Angeles that might, you know, not want to report something negatively about their beloved doctors. You know, I, I don't know relationships with papers and, and ball, ballparks, but I, I, I just have a feeling that the um, location has something to do with it. Again, it took a New York reporter to break the story, not in Los Angeles. Personally. Okay. So I know because you obviously outside the lines, you know, picked it up. I think um, I said at one point I saw something on, was it Entertainment Tonight? 
Yeah, well, that's another thing. It, it wasn't just a baseball story. It was a human interest story. A human interest story, yes. You know, everybody goes to the ballpark. You know, moms, grandmas, you know, kids. So, you know, it was about, you know, why wasn't this reported on? And again, sound safety. So it, it wasn't. You know, it, it did get on entertainment tonight and it didn't get on, you know, People Magazine. And we, you know, we got reported on by all kinds of media. So, but again, it was, it wasn't until, you know, ESPN really broke the story. And then I was inundated by, by reporters. Like, you know, I got everybody from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times and, you know, it was fabulous reporting. But again, Los Angeles had the smallest, um, article in the smallest response until I have to say this is something neat Ken five years later just this last August is the fifth anniversary of the event and her passing and Bill Plasky stepped up to the plate and wrote a fabulous article in the LA Times Sport section took over two full pages um, interviewing my father and talking about the incident so um, Bill said he didn't know about it in 2018, but when I, I finally, you know, got the book out and I had some people say, hey, Bill Plasky loves to talk about controversial stories, reach out to him. And thankfully, he was actually a guest speaker in Pierce College at the sports current events class for senior citizens. So my dad like met him personally and then he's like, oh gosh, I have to tell you a story. And then, so 2023, August, full page, beautiful article in the LA Times. But again, this is five years later. Yeah. That's interesting. I could look at one of my bullet points. I was going to ask about how they've, how they've responded in the six years or will be six years following that. And that's great. You beat me to it. And you know, I do, I've always respected Bill's work. Guess I'm a little bit miffed that he was kind of aware of it in 2018, you know, given how connected he is to the LA sports scene. But, you know, I, obviously his beat is pretty wide, but still, that I just. Well, he said he didn't know about it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm kind of miffed by that, just thinking, wow. Yeah. I mean, how does, how does that one not get on your radar? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think it's like some kind of strange cover up. <laughs> Or something in those days, you know, like, you know, journalists are, you know, I don't know. They, I, I, I mean, he, he, he's an independent person, so he was able to tell the story and all that. But, you know, again, even in the story, five years later, there was no real comment from Dr. Stadium. <laughs> well, that's 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 fascinating to me, and you know, one of the things I'm always looking at in different aspects of sports, like doing a sports podcast. And, you know, and I tend to be a little bit critical of the media and their tendency to protect their access as far as teams and athletes and, and whatnot. And I always wondered, you know, the more I learned about what happened to your mom and then some of the other incidents that have been that we were talking about earlier that, you know, that were ongoing, you know, in the, you know, especially that window between 2012 and 2019. Did you feel that? A lot of the media, journalists, print or electronic, were suppressing these stories to protect their access with MLB. 
I have no idea. Okay. okay. Yeah. Just, but just curious. I, I'm with you. I mean, I don't, I'm with you though, with that theory. I am right there with you because especially when it happens. I mean, I, I mean, how does they not know an ambulance gets rushed to the stadium and they, how do they not know that, you know, I don't know. I just think that there's too many people <laughs> around or even somebody sitting next to my mom that knows someone that, so, you know, like, how did this story not get leaked? Even the popcorn man or the peanut guy. Like, I just felt like this. How could nobody tell, you know, knew this story? It's weird to me. It's you know? weird because, you know, this isn't, you know, right. If this was, let's say, 2008 before the proliferation of social media and, you know, Facebook and IG and on and on. But that was deep, you know, during that era. And, and it's just kind of strange yeah. that, you know, you didn't even see traction that would have forced these people to act sooner and, you know, be proactive as far as stories are concerned. Yeah. Well, that's where, you know, Jordan Stockton's in the play. He, he contacted us right away. He's already had a um, campaign called Foul Ball Safety Now. You know, so he was aware of it and there was, you know, he was on ball. And so it was just crazy to, to find someone like him who, you know, who was an outsider and just had a huge love for the game. And he was, um, you know, before this incident and after this, a huge player in San Francisco. So, I mean, there are people that were aware of it. And I mentioned in my book, the players are aware of it. I mean, if they get a comp seat from somebody and they see their folks in the in the hot seat right at the foul line, they have been known to move their families to different seats. So if the players know about this and the MLB knows about this, why shouldn't the fans know about this and the safety, you know, the danger? So that really got to me. Wow, definitely. Okay, so this is whatever spots where we'll take a a, a quick pause. And then we'll come back on the other side because I have some questions about MLB itself and some other things that are kind of related. So give me a couple of seconds to reset. All right, then. That was segment one of my fascinating conversation with Jenna Goldblum Brody, a wonderful person, author of Sit Behind the Nets. As I said earlier, you can find that at Amazon. I love Google Books. There's a Kindle version of it if you that's your thing but I'm hoping that by hearing this compelling conversation with her and her journey to make the ballpark experience safer along with Jordan who's been on the podcast before anyway check it out we'll be back on the other side with segment two of our conversation with Jana see you on the other side Then welcome back to the Foxhole on a wonderful Friday afternoon. FTIN FX The Scene, Season 2, Episode 2. A just wonderful conversation with a fantastic person, Jana Goldblum Brody, author of Sit Behind the Nets. 
And this is just, yeah, I had so much fun doing this. If you all want to be on the podcast, either one to talk about whatever you would like or you know, something compelling and, riv and riveting is this conversation that I had with Jana earlier this week. Anyhow, enough of me. Let's get back to our conversation. Okay, so we are back with Jana Brady and having a very fascinating co conversation on fox trotting, fox, fox trotting in a foxhole this scene. Uh, we're having all kinds of trouble with our words today, but it's like really excited to, to have this follow-up interview with Jana, especially after talking to Jordan a few years ago. And on the other side, we were sort of kind of talking about the Dodgers and the media and I guess that brings me back to MLB, which it, it, it's, I don't know, how do I say this? Baseball and its weird culture, you know, going all the way back to the Black Sox scandal in 1919. And, you know, this sort of like, almost like the police in their blue line in terms of its ironclad. Basically, it's, they're the last word about everything pertaining to, to the sport. And you know, this made me wonder, you know, because I asked you about the Dodgers and their initial response. What about MLB in terms of how they reached out to your family, and you know, did they have? I don't know. You tell me. Well, that's another good question, because um, somebody asked me that too. Said, "What about MLB?" Like, I don't know. So I did my own research, and I. I um, supposedly Googled up who I thought was the appropriate person as the deputy commissioner at the time. And um, I put together like a five-page document letter with all the uh, fans and with random people that reached out to us from the news and, and all the concern and all the questions and all the everything. And personal stories, and you know, as a plea to you know do something, and uh, I sent it off in a big Manila envelope to you know New York, New York, and I believe they own like you know I don't know at least ten stories of a of one of the buildings out there, and it came back to me uh, months later, um, returned to sender. So wow, I was like, you know, even if I had the wrong suite number <laughs> or the wrong, you know, like somebody in the mailroom would know the deputy commissioner's office, you know? Undoubtedly. <laughs> like, like, I was like, how could this just get returned without even, like I said, it's a, you know, a name brand building with a name brand address. And again, I might've got the floor wrong. I might've got the suite wrong, but Anyways, that was shocking that I got that return to me. That was heartbreaking. Oh, I so imagine. I sent it off a second time, you know. <laughs> I never heard back a second time. Wow. That that is very shocking. But you know, it's it is shocking, but then again, what I know about it will be, I guess not. You know, I just would expect That's better what I'm of saying, them. Yeah. You know? like, we didn't get it, we don't know nothing, you know. And, and then finally you know, there was discussion going around the park. Um, MLB was, the, you know, okay, change needs to be made. But they were, like, dragging their feet. 
Every ballpark has a different configuration. Every ballpark has to do their own research. Every, and that's the end. I mean, you know, it's like he could have just mandated a flat thing. Hey, get these nets up and that's it. You know, but it was just dragged on and dragged on. And the more it was dragged on, the more people get injured, you know. And I think it was Jordan Scott who did research and said, hey, $50,000 in three days, you can get nets up. And he, he even offered Jordan himself to pay for two of the um, New York stadiums. Right. That, that is just like a penny, you know, for them. And it, it's like, if it was so inexpensive and did it take so long to do, what were they dragging this week? Why were they taking so long? And more people were at rest for injury and death. You know, come on. Oh, wow, I just love how you answer my questions even before I have them in terms of looking at my outline. It's beautiful. Um, you know, it's fascinating because, okay, I know obviously, you know, being an advocate for foul ball safety as you are, and you've done, you know, exhaustive research, and I can only say, obviously, I, I've done a sliver of that, but what I have, you know, found out or what I found really odd I guess, you know, I've been curious about, you know, MLB's response to foul ball safety and ensuring years after what happened to your mom in 2018, that I notice, you know, when I look at the 32 ballparks, the inconsistency, definitely lack of information in terms of the netting and of all the seating charts. I just find that like be appalling and kind of really mysterious. I agree. I agree. Especially, you know, they, the MLB stepped up. But the minor league gave them a couple of years. You know, they, they're still not finished. So I, it's the same players, the same power. The same, you know, the stadiums are even smaller in, in the minor league um, parks and the spring training parks. So I don't know. I don't really get it. It could be, it could be fun in a, such a positive way. You know, oh, we're going we're gonna to outbeat Japan. You know, Japan has the highest standards ever. And they're like, we're going to do even better. But no, they just keep dragging their feet. So well, that's why I keep, you know, trying to get the story out of it. The uh, title uh, of my book is Sit Behind the Net. So right. even if people don't purchase the book and read it, just the title alone sends the message. Absolutely. I will definitely give you an opportunity to tell people when we get to the end of this as far as where they can get this. But I was going to just because, you know, just remake before you got to that, I was just thinking about this. And when I think about, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a sports junkie and, you know, watch you know, tons and tons of sports almost to a fault. But I think about all the time I've watched baseball and I will you know, uh, qualify myself by saying I was n I'm not as big of a baseball fan as I once was growing up for many, many things. But what strikes me the most is I think about, you know, what talking to you, like you say 1970 and obviously 2018 with your mom. And then in between 1970 and now, the countless injuries, it seems like the only time they really acted quickly was when, uh, was it the third base coach, Mike Coolbaugh, Got hit by a by a ball and then you know, started mandating helmets. Was the only time they really didn't drag their feet. Correct me if I'm wrong, based on your research. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a chapter in my book. I I, I found that out in my in my I was shocked. I'm like that took three months to mandate um, helmets on the infield for for um, non-players. Three months. That's it. 
because God forbid their people should get injured. You know, I mean, that was the fastest, um, and it was needed, and it was it was important. And again, it was it was not a, not invasive. You know, I mean, everybody. Some people are talking about netting. Oh, it's going to impede impede on people's views, or it's just a take away from the fan experience. But when you think about it, the most expensive tickets are in the dugout and right behind the net. So that was debunked, you know. I mean, the same people I mentioned in my book that um, complained about seatbelts. You know, there was a time when we did not have seatbelts in our car. And everybody, there was a few naysayers. Oh, it's uncomfortable. Why do I have to do that? It's to save your life, guys. Much. So the netting, in my eyes, was a no-brainer. It was to save injuries and lives and also to help protect the players. Who wants to go to work thinking, God forbid, I'm going to hurt somebody? I mean, come on. Very true. Very true. And as you've pointed out, how quickly these things can happen, you know, just just from observation, you know, seeing where wayward balls, whether it's the stands or into the dugout and, you know, whatnot. Let me ask you this real quick. Um Obviously, you know, and you you touched a lot of folks, and a lot of folks, and have connected with a lot of folks. You know, as far as you know, bringing more attention to this, have you had conversations with with current or past players who have they reached out to you, or you've reached out to them? Well, no, I I would love to get some players on my side. I would love to you know help them share the book. I have met some mothers of players, and I friends of have mothers of players. You know that you know that's my <laughs> my demographic. But um, yeah, I I don't know how to reach these people, and I would love you know to share my book. Uh, although I, one exception is um, Harrison Bader. He was a character in my book, not a character, but a real life player. As you mentioned earlier, I was a Dodger fan my whole life. But as soon as I got married, I um, had to switch to the Redbirds. And I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan now. And um, that actually helped me get through this crisis. <laughs> but Harrison Bader at the time um, heard about my mom's story, or his mother did, and shared um, my story. And it turns out it was my son's 18th birthday on June 18th, it was his golden birthday, and he's a big sports nut and a, a budding sports journalist. And um, we got to do this was obviously right in 2020 during COVID. And Harrison Bader at the time was an amazing young uh, rising cardinal, and he did a Zoom call with my son, so wow. he knew about this story personally. And um, since the book come out, I have tried to send it to his mother, hoping he would pass pass it along to Harrison and then pass it along to his cronies. But that was the closest celebrity that I could get him to. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, let me circle back on something, you know, because obviously uh, <laughs> there's so much to unpack and digest you know, on a topic like this. But, you know, what I was thinking about, obviously, being a baseball fan and seeing it at all levels, you know that uh, I was I was talking with Jordan in our in our conversation a few years ago. How I used to go to this, we had this great ballpark. We used to have a uh, 
it was a ballpark that was built back in the uh, in the depression by the during the WPA and the CCC did it. It was a beautiful ballpark until some kids burned it down in the early 2000s. But it used to be one of the great places to see a game in the summertime. And I just I remember talking to my neighbor about this last night. We were just like going. Yeah, it's kind of a wonder that nobody ever got hit there because, I mean, what netting what was available definitely wasn't adequate. You know, this is one of those uh, short-season, single-A single teams on a shoestring budget, but obviously connected to a major team. So, you know, safety shouldn't be an issue. I guess being a long-winded about that, you know, and you brought this up earlier, do you feel enough is being done outside of major leagues? Because, you know, we can talk... College, minor league, little league, you know, anything that's kind of like, we'll say sanctioned baseball to make the fans safer. How do you, you know, and do your research and do your book and then your, your conversations with folks. How do you feel about what's being done at that level? Well, it's an interesting topic. Like I said, um, my son is, uh, he started his love of sports journalism at our local high school. They had a fabulous, um, media arts program and he used to do live streams and play-by-plays and um our high school field recently you know when he was in high school put up netting because the foul balls were going into the swimming pool that was next door to the stadium because the school small school you know so the foul balls were going into the swimming pool and endangering endangering the swimmers so our high school put up netting i mean that was pretty amazing so if they could see the 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 need for it you know college has the need for it and definitely like i said in training and you mentioned minor league those are the same players just coming up the ranks the same power the same you know bats and balls so i think it's important all the way down to college to the little league and like i said our high school was was smart enough to do it. So again, it's not a huge um, cost. No. It doesn't impair the game. It's you know, I had a crazy call from um, the UK, and the, this guy was a reporter asking me if he thinks that I think it was squash balls are huge and heavy. And do you think there should be more netting there? And I'm like, hey, protect the fans at all costs. That's the people that support the game, you know, it's our ticket dollars, it's our love, and that that keep it all going. So, of course, you need to protect the fans. Without a doubt, you know, it's because I know I was you know, chatting with my neighbor. He's a big baseball fan. Has obviously he went to Oregon State up the road, and they have a great program. And we were sitting there chatting about. Because, you know, obviously, like the high school and, and the college level, they still use aluminum bats, which is which I find oh. even more crazier in terms of how fast the ball jumps off of those. And I've been, in my time, as far as, like, especially, you know, being a California kid, I've been in a lot of uh, smaller ballparks and have seen some crazy things going on with uh, as far as, like I said, at the, at the lower level. And... I just, I never thought about it at the time. I mean, I, well, I did actually, but not to the sense of, you know, taking it to a level like you and Jordan have done. And it just makes me wonder, you know, why there's not enough awareness at that level. Yeah. 
I know it's it's strange. It's like maybe, like you said, um, colleges or you know other schools. Like maybe they don't think about you know they it wasn't thought about when they erected the stadium that you know they, it should be easily added. That that's where you know I'm just we're just you know want to keep spreading the word because it's so important. Um, you know you you joke about little league. My I mean, the, the introduction to my book talks about a prayer for Owen Beebe. Do you remember that John Irving story? Yeah, I do. The opening um, chapter talks about a little league boy, Owen Beebe, nailing his best friend's mother in the head, and she died instantly. <laughs> so, you know, life, you know, represents art, and I mean, that's the story from Little League. So that story should have taken heed, you know, it's a real thing that can happen. And anyway, it's, it's, it just irks me that, you know, people aren't acting quicker or, you know, making the concessions that need to be. And I have to tell you one thing I learned with all my research too, is I'm, I'm now part of a Facebook group that happens to be private, but it's called, you know, injured fans for minor and major league baseball. And there are a lot of injured folks on that group for minor league parks because um, again, they're smaller stadiums, you're closer to the action and you have the same big ball players. So um, I, I really let, can't wait, you know, till that they can uh, extend the netting for the minor league parks fast enough. Oh, that's once again, <laughs> you're, you're already, it's almost like you could read my mind because I was going to bring that up in terms of, you know, the, the next area in terms of, you know, I mean, advocacy, you know, which obviously folks like you and Jordan are, you know, uh, true warriors and true heroes, in my opinion, as far as this goes. And so that's what I was, I had learned about this, I guess I listened to when you were on the Yeah, Uh-Huh podcast, I believe it was. Oh, nice. Thank you. And... I was really fascinated with, you know, this this private group on Facebook, and it seems like it's this intersection of folks from, I mean, obviously different levels. I was curious, is the, like the time range, is this like recent or is this like through time as far as folks who have, have you know, suffered unfortunate, you know, injuries at the ballpark? Yeah, it's, um, it's both, you know, it's, it's, Things are happening at all at all times, and there's, you know, it's just a place for people to come and vent and share the story and and to complain and say, can you believe this happened to me? And that's still nothing's being done. And you know that this all circles back to your question early on, where on the back of the ticket it says enter at your own risk, and that exempts the ballparks from any liability, um, which is ridiculous. And also, there is no physical tickets anymore everything's online or scanned with the qr code so you don't even see that information printed anywhere so um these people who are living with injuries have actually zero compensation for their medical bills you know i mean i hate to say it but maybe my mom got off easy with her death because these people are living with chronic pain one eye um you know jaw issues brain issues in all ages. So it's pretty hideous. <laughs> it's a sad thing that this group exists. But again, it's a place for people to vent their stories and, 
and, and talk about, you know, uh, is there a possibility to create a lawsuit? Is there not? You know, the, 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 the history of the baseball law from the 1920s uh, protects the stadium and the Major League Baseball from any lawsuits of any kind. However, things have been shifting a little bit here and there just because the players and the parks and everything has changed since 1920. So um, I would just love to see a minuscule fund, like, you know, half a percent of anybody's ticket or salary or players, you know, salary, anything, like a half a percent to go to a fund that could protect, you know, to pay for these poor people's lives that have been doing. You know, I mean, we're talking million dollars billion-dollar players, you know, this is a, MLB is a billion-dollar industry, and they can't help out a fan who got injured? I mean, it's disgusting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, case in point, uh, the the very much aforementioned Dodgers, you know, in this offseason, you know, signing two high-profile well, players for a billion dollars for two players. You know, which you know, that's a whole other can of worms. But the idea is, if you can spend two billion dollars on on players, you surely can come up with a fund with all the all the revenue streams that they have, whether it's gaming, gear, <laughs> the, uh, merchandise, merchandise. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's completely mind boggling, and it would do themselves a a, a major solid in terms of great PR in terms of that they really do care about, you know, fan safety and the folks that make the game special. But they're always claiming it's all about the fans. Yeah. Oh. I know. It, it really breaks my heart. And I, I my, you know, it, it's, it's an ongoing battle. And I, I feel like, you know, I did a little tiny piece in helping get, you know, the, the nets extended and the, and raise, but there's still, you know, more that can be done there, you know, but again, it's just as one person trying to grieve the death of my mother and try to, you know, get through all this as best I can, you know, there's still more that can be done. You're absolutely right. Oh, perfect. So let me take a quick break. We'll come back and do one more segment. I'll let you get back to your wonderful afternoon. All right. Great conversation. Fantastic insights that we're getting. I guess it was a pleasure. I was just bummed me out that it took me so long to finally get back to her. But as she pointed out, with pitchers and catchers getting ready to report in two weeks, the timing is perfect as far as getting this on this podcast and you know, looking forward to some of the conversations that hopefully will spawn from this. I know I definitely was... Uh, Really appreciative that she took the time to share her story and her efforts to make the ballpark safer. Anyways, we will be back on the other side with one more segment with Jana. See you then. Then. Welcome back to the foxhole. FTIN, FTIN FX, The Scene, Season 2, Episode 2. 
featuring an interview with Jana Goldblum Brody, author of Sit Behind the Nets. I've said before, it's an Amazon Kindle version, softback, whatever suits your fancy. But if you've been enjoying this podcast and the things that she is telling us and sharing her journey, check the book out. Please do. It definitely will be worth your while. All right, folks. Well, we've got one more segment with her. By the way, I will say before I get to that, also check out the what will that be? I think episode four of season seven that's also going to be coming up. In fact, I'll be recording that as soon as I put the lid on this. So I'm looking forward to that. Just, just looking down at the timeline, there's so many crazy things going on that probably even sp- spread into uh, episode five. But anyways, let's get back to our conversation with Jenna Goldblum. Brody. I know, I've always said Brady three or four times. <laughs> Too much of terrific time on TV, I suppose. But anyways, enough of me. <laughs> okay, we are back. Your faithful host, Ken Harlan, here with the amazing guest that's uh, giving us all kinds of riveting data that, that, that I will take away with, and hopefully all of you will as well. But... One of the things I wanted to get into, I guess, you know, just because you know we have a shared <laughs> we have a shared encounter with Jordan, and I remember when I interviewed with him, he was telling me this great story about flying over the field of dreams game with a banner about, you know, basically <laughs> calling 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 him be out. So how did how did he how did you two come into contact with one another? Um. You know, I think it was my dad who found first, you know, and I, I can't even remember. Probably after the ESPN article came out, you know, he contacted us. Um, but, yeah, Jordan is amazing. He's also known to fly banners about um, uh, foul ball safety now over the All-Star game on his own dime. You know, little planes pulling banners and things. So he's, he's working it, and he um, – He's been a little bit quiet uh, lately. Usually he's contacting me about press releases and interviews and things. But <clears throat> again, you can only spend so much time and money on these causes as a single person. So I, 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 I give him a lot of great credit for helping me get my confidence up to speak out. Uh, I, yeah, I can imagine. I, yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, that's, that's how you... You were able to find out that I talked to him and reached out to me, which I'm really grateful for. And I just can't say enough how much I appreciate having this conversation. And I just think it's crazy what you know that he was going to pay for extended netting on his own dime for City Field and the and the Yankee Stadium 2.0. And you know, basically, like, yeah, okay, keep going. <laughs> it's just wow, really. I mean, I can understand. Yeah, I mean, Go ahead. Yeah, he had a huge. He had a big heart and a big mission, and he's very vocal, you know, proud of him. He always is a little, you know, more angry than me and uses a lot more harsher words, but that's his style, and he, he's, make, he's making waves, and together, you know, we're trying to keep fans safe, so I know he was working on a book. Hopefully, that's going to finish soon, too. Just the more we can get people to realize 
that, you know, you can buy a ticket behind the net. You know, don't, I, my big thing is don't stop supporting your favorite team, your favorite player, but just be mindful of the inventory. And now it's so easy with the seating charts to just pick your seat and make sure you're, um, you know, in a safe spot and enjoy the game. Yeah, undoubtedly. So along those lines, out of curiosity, because, you know, bringing up the story about Jordan and, you know, City Field Yankee Stadium, obviously them ignoring him, it makes me wonder, yeah. pivoting back to you, um, have you encountered any resistance from the baseball establishment, media, or corporate sponsors? Um, I'm not sure if I'm hearing you right, but in my book, I do talk about, um, you know, I found a lot of naysayers and like hecklers in my research. You know, some, really? some people, yeah, um, again, off the top of my head, I, I don't want to say their names. Okay, no, but, that's fine. Yeah, but there was, you know, people being interviewed saying, you know, like somebody like you giving a podcast that's kind of popular saying, you know, this is kind of a silly story. I can't believe, you know, they're asking to raise the meds or how, you know, that's it's so unimportant, you know, or uh, there's, you know, there was some people that just didn't see the value of the advocacy or the need to, you know, promote this. They, they just, again, would dismiss it by saying, oh, they should have had a glove. They should have been paying attention. But, you know, until it happens to you or the person sitting next to you, um, I think it's important. I mean, I, I've actually been um, approached to possibly, you know, there might even be a movie in this story. And uh, I thought, wow. you know, they always change, change stories to be, you know, based on a story. So what if a Dodger executive's child got hit by a ball? You know, how would that story have changed? The, the, the scenario you know if it was somebody near and dear to the organization i think things would have happened a lot quicker or if it was a player's family you know so you know there's just different things to look at but um you know i i, I was always shocked by those people that were naysayers or you know commented rude things on the, um, the um, online articles people would say mean things like yeah, this is once in a lifetime. You know, it's a terrible incident. One out of forty thousand people. You know, it's never going to happen again. Let's move on. But that's not true. You know, so I'm just trying to do my thing and get my book out there. And I appreciate people like you who want to let me tell my story and oh, make people. Uh, think it's about an honor. It. Um. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I mean, because obviously, you know, doing my research, I did listen to some of the other podcasts that you've done and and have gleaned all sorts of tidbits from whatever sources. I mean, I was a historian at one point, so research, I guess, is what I like to do. Um, well, you mean you didn't read the book? Though. No, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting through it. But hey, I'm trying to find another gig right now, so I've been really you... pressed. That's okay. <laughs> I know, hey. I'm, yeah, <laughs> but nonetheless, we're still covering some really good points. I was going to ask you about. Uh, let me ask you about the book. Yeah, well, let me ask you this first before I ask you more about the book, as far as what you're to encourage folks to check it out who may be checking this podcast out. Um, but one thing I'm curious about is 
the the um, you kind of mentioned going back to the ballpark and one of the podcasts I had heard about in that. You know, it was almost you know, that PT, the PTSD involved, and, and obviously with other folks that in this private Facebook group, that's one of the things I guess in, in the story probably gets lost in terms of you know the aftermath and you know the kind of trauma. And so, how hard was it for you to go back to the ballpark? Yeah, that was really challenging, I have to say, and it was quick. My son. Again, as I mentioned, big, big baseball fan, and my my husband's a big fan. And, um, St. Louis Cardinals, who came to California, they were going to be in the Oakland A's stadium. It's only a, a drive away from Santa Barbara. Like, we don't get to see the Cardinals play very often. Let's mm-hmm. get in the car and go. And we're not going to go to one game. We're actually going to go to both games. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, and that stadium is a football field. You know, yes, I've been there many times. <laughs> So that was kind of interesting. And again, my friend who bought the tickets was, you know, mindful and she bought them behind the net. But because we sat behind the net, we were, you know, pretty close up. So we were getting the pop up that was going above the net and popping down. And and then these balls were ricocheting off the seats that were empty. And it was crazy. You know, I I didn't like it. (laughs) I did not like it at all. But I got there and I, I wore a T-shirt that said hashtag extend the nets, and I I tried to do my my part. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit crazy sitting there watching those balls bounce around me. And um, as the year I'm talking, you know, this is four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. My son is now um, in college and um, in ASU doing sports journalism, and he found himself, you know, filming games. Um, and being nervous that the balls were going to hit him as a cameraman, you know, because he was there on the field and he, he was even at high school games, even at the um, other games that he was working at, he felt a little PTSD, like the balls were coming for him, just being vulnerable, standing there with the camera. So it's definitely real, you know, and it didn't even happen to us. It happened to, you know, my mom and his grandma, but just the the knowledge of those balls and the, the velocity of them. And it's a scary thing. So I haven't been back since that 2020 um, Cardinals versus A's Okay. <laughs> and I will probably never go to Dodger Stadium. My father now is um, 90. My dad's turning 91 in May, and he will never go to Dodger Stadium. And it's not because of his age. He's a... Um, UCLA football fan, and he has season tickets there, and he goes to the Rose Bowl you know, every weekend for hours upon hours watching football and tailgating. So it's not about his ability to go. It's, it's his um, attitude towards the Dodgers and his his anger of that going back to that ballpark. <laughs> and, I, I don't know, and I'm guessing... Uh, well, obviously, family connections has something to play into it, but rooting for the Redbirds is probably, is kind of your way of, of telling the Dodgers, you know, good night, good riddance. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I was just, but that again, I've been married for 28 years, so mm-hmm. I'd already given up on the Dodgers. Once they, you know, once my dream team of Garvey, Say, and Lopes and all those guys, you know, once the, the, they change the rules and they change players every other season, every other game, I kind of, you know, wasn't a huge, you know, 
investment fan until I got married. And so, yeah, I Redbirds and Cardinals all the way. So okay, okay. it helped me. It helped me during that uh, pennant race. Point. And I was so glad that Boston beat the Dodgers in 2018. I was very happy about it. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's great. So, I guess well, this this is the, you know obviously a question as we as we as we start to kind of wind down a little bit. Um, so I don't know, kind of briefly tell us about your mom and what would you like her legacy to be moving forward as as far as getting this message out to to, to the baseball community. Yeah, well, I appreciate you asking me that because again, there's a person behind this tragedy, and uh, my mom was a fan. She was wearing her Dodger Buddha that day, and you know it's like. You know, I just want her, um, her name is not in vain. And her name is Linda Goldblum. And she died by a foul ball at Dodger Stadium. And because of her story, I was able to um, grieve through writing the book. And that was my, my way of, um, of getting through the process. Right after she died was, like I mentioned earlier, I reached out to um, ESPN and I got just nonstop barrage of uh, interviews and stories and getting, but because of that, it took away from my grieving. I, I became like an advocate instead, mm-hmm. and I could tell the story over and over without crying. And my family, my brothers and sisters, are like, "How can you do that?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I kind of a little bit desensitized because I want to get the, the story out about raising the Mets and the importance of sound safety." So. It wasn't until, you know, a year after that whole interaction with the journalism and getting the story out that I just, you know, had a moment to breathe and then actually grieve about it. So then I was able to tell her story. And in the book, um, I'll sit behind the net, a memoir of a mother killed by a foul ball at an MLB game. And I put all those keywords in there so that it would pop up. Um, you know, on Amazon books and such, just so I can get the message out. And I, in the book, I talk about her as a person and how she was just a, a beloved Bubby, you know, a Jewish grandma who loved her kids and her grandkids. And she was a, um, you know, storyteller in her own right and a, and a beautiful person and how, you know, a, a seemingly average person could have such an extraordinary death and, and something good can come of it. So, that's kind of how I came full circle of, um, you know, thinking to myself that, you know, this, this preventable tragedy, and that's something that I learned from, from Jordan Stockett, this was very preventable. Undoubtedly. In 1970, a 14-year-old boy died. You know, something should have happened then. And then all of these injuries every year, injury after injury. So the net could have been up many years prior and these could have you know saved my mom so that's just that's the hardest part about it that it was preventable and i'm trying to prevent it from not happening again um get my my story out you know wow that, that that's and it's very riveting and it's very moving and and i think one of the things i did pick up on uh something you know just like listening to your you know get in, in research for this and that's kind of sad that there's like, you know, no plaque or at least, you know, some sort of observance by the Dodgers. Just come on, Blue, you got to be better than that. Yeah, that would have been nice. That was a little, 
clap on her sleeve or something like that. Or, you know, or thank you, Linda Goldblum, for making us extend the net. You know, like, you know, something like that. But that's okay. I know it's big business, and I guess PR doesn't get fun the way we'd like it to. And, you know, I'll be curious if, <laughs> if this movie does get made, what what will happen then? You know, Dodgers <laughs> will not be, you know, seen in such a good light. But but they did raise the net. So I, I'm taking that comment back. The Dodgers did do what they needed to do. Not only did they extend the, the net to the foul poles, but they did raise it behind where she was sitting behind the um, home plate. So I'm thankful to Dodgers Stadium for taking action. And, um, again, just trying to prevent other people from getting injured or, or worse, dying. And um, most important thing is buy your ticket and sit behind the net. Okay. So with that in mind, which I think that's fantastic, it's good, you know, as far as having a very balanced and very positive message. Um, okay. When you talk about your book, can you give us a, a few tidbits that folks who listen to this podcast that something we have things that we have haven't covered which might make them more interested to go out and buy your book which i'm really hoping they will after having this conversation yeah i mean that letter that i wrote to the commissioner is printed in there in black and white so people i was hoping somebody in his office might pick up the book and see that letter that got returned twice <laughs> um I have a story about my daughter living in New York and um, going to Broadway and watching a, a Tony award-winning play called Take Me Out, which um, involves a, a player getting hit, hit and dying from a ball and having a talk back at that show. And it just so happened that my daughter was there. So, I mean, it's just mysterious how all these things get interwoven and, um, it's a it's a story about a grandma. You know, a lot of people who interviewed me said, "Gosh, it just reminded me of my mom and my grandma and how what a beautiful people are in the world." And and then it talks about baseball and it talks about the players and the journalists and the and things. And um, but it's about you know it's also just a story about dealing with grief. Everyone has to face death in different ways, and also. My main point is use your voice for good. You know, whatever the issue is, whatever happens, stand up and, and, and use your voice for good. Something that I was able to do through um, ESPN, got my word out. And then the, the dominoes fell and change was made. So kind of a, um inspirational, translational story as well. Oh, and um, it's, you know, not a very long book. It's uh, less than 200 pages. And it, there's a picture of my mother on the back cover. It's the most amazing thing. My dad, um, it, not being able to really be selfie, but he took a photo. He's not in it, but he took a photo of my mom and his brother and his wife and their dogs are blue. There's an empty seat sitting next to my mom where my dad can be. And that he took a picture of my mom. At that game, the last picture of my mom ever taken was sitting wow. in that seat at Dodger Stadium. And that photo's gone viral. You know, it's been on all the articles, and I put it on the back of my book as a tribute to her. And um, so it's personal. It's a, it's a personal story 
but again, I think there's a little bit of everything in it for um, all kinds of all kinds of readers. Okay, fantastic. So, is it only available in a hard or paperback, or is there can you get an e? Is there electronic versions? Just for yeah, it's available. Um, it was it was um, it's available on Amazon Books in um, soft softback. It's a paperback book, and and it also there's a Kindle version you could purchase. So that's um, in electronic. You don't have to buy the book. But it's, um, yeah, and then through Amazon, it's available through, um, I think, also it connects to Barnes & Noble and um, wherever, you know, you can buy your books online. Um, and here in Santa Barbara, I was very thankful. I got a lot of local bookstores to carry it. But it's uh, majorly, most people are buying it on Amazon. And I have lots of reviews if people want to sift through that. But, again, it's, it's a $16 book. But it it could save your life. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? and it's definitely a story that needs to get as much traction as possible, especially among you know, baseball fans. As baseball has, after kind of lagging a little bit earlier in the century, after all the steroid nonsense and other scandals, is really trending up again as far as its popularity. And last year, more people went to the ballpark, I believe, in a decade and a half. Wow, nice to know. Yeah. So definitely, it's an important story. So I'll 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 get you out of here with with with, with one or two quick questions. First one, I won't know if it's quick, but first one would be with everything that you've been able to do and others and working with you know a, a group of folks to get the message out and 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 seeing some action actually some significant action done. What would you want to see moving forward to to even to uh, how shall I say bring make the make make going to the ballpark a safer experience? Yeah, well, um, again, that the that's the best thing I can think of is just buy your ticket behind the net because there are going to be distracting things. There are going to be you know games and popcorn and stuff like that. So the more ways you can protect yourself is just you know make sure you buy that seat you know specifically behind the net. And um, again, I'm just hoping that the, the MLB, the minor league goes quicker and that the spring training parks take heed and all the way to high schools and colleges. And um, I just you know, want to keep people safe. And um, again, that's the biggest takeaway and the biggest message is please you know, sit behind the net. Okay. I, I appreciate that. And is there anything that folks out there who are interested can do as far as being like you and Jordan and being advocates for foul ball safety? Well, I think that if they, if they know a story to share it or if they, you know, know anybody in, you know, or any journalist, just keep the story alive and keep talking about it. And, um, you know, again, if anybody knows the commissioner, get, get it to him. And that's the thing. And get, you know, the players, the players have been fabulous about speaking out, you know, you can see in my book and also online that a lot of players agree that yeah, this is this needs to happen. I mean, wasn't it Albert Omora who fell to his knees and mm -hmm. you know he talked about PTSD? These players need to be protected as well. So the biggest, you know, take the, the other thing like we touched on earlier that I could dream of was would be somebody to create a foundation with 
you know, like you said, a, a tiny percentage that can be put aside for the people that do get injured, you know, because, or to get the baseball law, you know, revoked that maybe you can sue and get compensated. So these are the kinds of things that I'm trying to help the people that are living with these injuries day in and day out. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, an, and it's an incredible thing that you're doing. And I'm glad that we can do our part to help, to help you get the message out there. And hopefully others that are checking this podcast out, you know, we'll spread the word to others as well. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, yeah. take people like you who have an interest in baseball and an interest in sharing this story. So I'm very thankful for this podcast, and I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you for reaching out to me over the summer. It took me forever to, to connect, but I'm kind of glad that I checked my other account that one day, you know, a little while back and said, oh, my God, somebody wasn't talking about this. And then, you know, realized it was you. I was like, wow, this is, you know, kind of a, you know, a wonderful opportunity, and I'm really glad to give you know, that you gave me the opportunity to follow up on this. Well, perfect timing because spring training starting and baseball season's in February. So, yeah, thank you. It's the yeah. perfect opportunity, the perfect timing to get the word out and uh, keep our staff safe, and hopefully, you know, people enjoy the book. Absolutely, and I will definitely make sure that I continue. I will. I will pitch that on. Once I do the editing on this and on and on my other podcasts and the upcoming episodes as well. well Thank you. Yeah. Well, okay. Then I'm gonna let you get back to your afternoon. I will definitely once I get it published, I'll send you a send you the link to to the episode so you can uh, do what you will with it and view it or send it to others. Um, they want to listen. I will definitely cross promote your podcast and share it with others. And okay. Very much you taking the time, Ken. Fantastic. Like I said. Enjoy your evening. It was a, an immense pleasure and uh, best wishes. And maybe we'll cross paths again somewhere down the road. Okay. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Enjoy. Bye. All right. That was a lot of fun. You know, obviously, still working out some technical things in case you, it, with the sound, but you know, we're still, it's, one of those things that happens when you're on the level that I am. But irrespective of that, it was such a wonderful conversation with Jana. And I really think everyone that's listening to this podcast should check out her book, Sit Behind the Lines, print or electronic form, Amazon, I believe Google Books. But yeah, definitely, if this interests you, and feel free if you want to come on the podcast and talk about something like this or other pertinent things that are important to you as we try to get more episodes of the scene going again. It's been kind of dormant in recent times. Anyways, enough of that. I got to move on to episode four, I believe it is, of season seven, which I'll probably start doing in a couple of minutes. But anyways, I really thank Jana for coming on the show. Fantastic. Learned a lot. Really appreciated her taking the time to share her experience and how she has turned you know, grief into activism and being a strong advocate to make the experience of the ballpark safer for all of us. Okay, folks, we will... See you soon on the other podcast. And if you want to be on the scene or you know somebody who 
Should be a guess. Send them my way. All right. Peace out, y'all.